You're listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast, episode number 86. Welcome to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. Business advice so easy, you'll feel like you're cheating. And now your host, Amy Porterfield. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm Amy Porterfield, and I'm delighted that you're here. Now, over the last few weeks on this podcast, we've been getting really tactical. So we've talked about adding upsells to your sales promotions, adding bonuses and when to add those bonuses. We've talked about the mindset of list building, and then we've gotten really specific about what you need to do to build your list. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, they're just a few back. So make sure to go check out upsells and bonuses and list building because again, we got really tactical with that and I want you to take some action in those areas to make sure you're always moving forward in your business. But today I want to step back a little bit and look at the big picture and look at our team and how we're running our business and how we're setting things up. And I thought there's no one better to do that than my new friend, Dale Partridge. So let me tell you about our guest today. Dale is a veteran entrepreneur and he's recognized as a business building expert. Now, this guy has started seven companies since he was a teenager. One of those companies is Sevenly, named by Mashable and the Los Angeles Times and Forbes as one of the fastest growing social good startups in the country. Pretty impressive, right? In less than two years, Sevenly has given over $3 million in $7 donations to charities across the globe. But Dale is best known for his expertise in consumer trends, branding, marketing, and social media. He speaks as a creative leader whose mission is to influence an industry to rethink, this is cool, to rethink the models of how we do business today. Dale's words and work have been featured in various business publications it's kind of astounding where this guy has been. Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. Magazine, again, Mashable, MSM Money, and Los Angeles Times and Forbes, as I mentioned. I mean, he has talked about everywhere. He's got this magic touch when it comes to business. He's also the author of the book, People Over Profit, a phenomenal read I highly recommend. Now, I asked Dale on the show today because his insights go way deeper than surface techniques. They allow entrepreneurs to set a solid foundation for long-term success and self-correct at the pivotal moments in business when small decisions could have major impact. In Dale's own words, he says, I build rock-solid strategies that provide leaders a clear path to the finish line. My role is not sideline coaching. I jump into the tactics, work alongside team members, and hold leaders accountable to completing the project good stuff, right? Now I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Dale Partridge. Hey Dale, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Hanging out with Mrs. Amy Porterfield. <laughs> We're going to have so much fun. This is going to be fantastic. And before we get into all the good stuff I have planned for us, I think you have such a cool and interesting business background. And I would love for you to share a little bit about that kind of to where you are today and the big projects you're working on. Totally. So um, I never knew I was supposed to be an entrepreneur. I, I really had no idea. When I was 
uh, 18, I had 15 jobs uh, at that by that point, and I've been <laughs> fired from all of them. Oh, no. Um, I was, uh, I, I literally got fired from PetSmart. I mean, what? Me. And um, I was unemployable. And I didn't realize that until, until I was 18. I started my first company. It was the Fit Image. It was an indoor personal training massage therapy company. And that was such a unique experience. Uh, I started a big business. It was, you know, it was $500,000 at that, you know, at 18 years old. And I had seven employees and I hated my life. It was, it was the worst thing ever because I turned out that I was, I was a, a coach or a, a therapist to overweight wealthy women. And um, it, was, uh, it was a good experience, but I, I didn't really enjoy building that business. And I started moving on to other areas of entrepreneurship. I, uh, I took some money for uh, selling that company to a young couple for $50,000. I was like the wealthiest 19-year-old Heck ever yeah. met. And I, I mean, $50,000 cash, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? One, I didn't pay taxes on it, and I had to pay taxes on it way later because <laughs> I, I, was, I was that dumb. And, um, but I took the money, and I, I, was, I was a huge fan of Chipotle. I ate Chipotle more than anybody you've ever met. I went there once 80 times in a row. No. I did. And it was it was horrible. Uh, I, I still eat that much if I can get to it, but they don't have a Chipotle here in Bend. Anyways, I walk in and the guy knows my name and he says, hey, uh, Dale, we went uh, public today. And I had already just been getting into wanting to play the stock market. I actually bought this book called The Teenage Investor. I know it's super cliche. Amazing. But I, I, I ended up figuring out, learning how to play stocks. I put some money into an account and this guy says, hey, you know, we, sh- we just went public. So I went online. I looked at Chipotle was at $21 a share as an IPO in 2006. I was like, this is crazy. I'm going to buy some stock. I bought about $10,000 worth of shares. And I just watched it go up. It was crazy over, over about you know, a year and a half of time. It went up $126 a share. I, I sold and I thought, oh my gosh, there's no way that I can make any more money. Now, if you look at it, I think it's like $450 a okay, share. That is insane. So <laughs> Chipotle was an amazing stock market. Their, yes. their tick symbol is is CMG. Anyways, I lost a bunch of money on solar stock, so I ended up kind of not making that much money anyways. But I uh, took that that experience, started a rock climb, uh, sold that business a few years later, um, took that uh, experience, started a, a branding agency, and then a conference company. And in the search for purpose and meaning, uh, I wanted to create a company that that was more than just putting money at the bottom line. And it wasn't until I really shifted my thinking from how to make a million dollars to how to help a million people that really pushed me into my business sevenly uh, that most people, if they follow me, have heard uh, about me from that. Yeah. And so sevenly was the idea that every week we'd partner with a new charity. We'd give $7 from Adam Sold uh, to support that week's cause. And we grew the company from about zero to 10 million, zero to 50 employees in about two and a half years and gave away $4.5 million. Oh my gosh. Crazy, right? So like, I think back and I go, what if we didn't? Like, what if I just didn't do that? And I think this is a, this is a call to people that are listening uh, who have a dream, who have an idea, who have a mission, who have a passion. If we didn't do Sevenly, that's $4.5 million that didn't go to charities, which that actually translates into is little girls like would not have escaped brothels. Uh, you know, little little boys and girls would not have had clean drinking water. Uh, families would not have eaten. Women would still be in domestic abuse homes. Like you, you got to wow. think of the reality that when you start a business, 
it has nothing to do with you. You get the you get the consequences of you know making money, which is a great consequence to have, but at the it's serving a purpose, a mission, a people, and so that whole thing is. I realized, what if we didn't? And it would, you know, when I think about it, to be honest, I think people would actually not be alive. Yes. Um, I think that the money that we funded actually kept people alive. So, whatever your dream is, you know, make sure you 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 crush on it because it's it's not about you. It's about them. And this experience, I ended up selling some of my stock there, wrote a book called People Over Profit, which is kind of my philosophy on business, um, and started my new company, uh, which is the first company I've actually owned by myself. So out of the seven companies I've started, this is the first one I own solo. Interesting. And it's called? It's called startupcamp.com, and it's it's helping people figure out how to start their own business. So I'm just excited to, to share some of uh, those details with you here today. Yes, definitely. So let's talk about this book in terms of the seven core beliefs, because I have a lot of questions related to those seven core beliefs, but can we kind of lay them out first? Totally. Yeah, okay. I am. Um, so when I, when I writing this book, I, I, I looked at a bunch of different companies and I go, okay, who's winning? Now, I'll tell you what, I do not want to be the wealthiest person that nobody likes. Amen. Okay. I don't want to be the most successful person that nobody respects or that nobody trusts. And I don't want to create the biggest company that uh, has great products, but people don't really connect with it. So I started looking at companies and I go, what are the, the similarities, the characteristic traits between these great brands that aren't just profitable, but the culture's winning, the, the leaders are respected, they're long-term success, they have like been profitable for many years on end, uh, their employee retention is high, um, their culture is strong, um, the consumer uh, connection to the brand is 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 very you know well connected and people are passionate about them, and I I came up with a you know a, a handful of companies, and I looked at the leaders and I wanted to find some similarities and I found out while most business leaders are looking in the Harvard Business Review for like the next strategy or tactic on how to create a better business, these leaders instead were leaning on the lessons that they learned in like kindergarten. And uh, it's, you know, to, to be, you know, to, to love one another, to be kind, to be honest, to tell the truth, to have integrity, to share. Um, and, and now it sounds so stupid simple because it is. Um, th these are the things, though, we got to remember, Amy. We're, how old are you, Amy? 38. 38. Okay, I'm 30. And we are, are in our 30s and we still struggle with telling the truth. Okay. okay, that's a one we've got to go down for sure. We've got to talk about that one. But yes, you're right. So, so it's this idea that it's we still struggle with all these things uh, as adults. The leaders that lead great companies are the ones who have been able to master the, those basic kindergarten beliefs. So the, the, the seven core beliefs are, are, are people matter. So we believe people matter. We believe truth wins. We believe transparency frees. We believe authenticity attracts. We believe quality speaks. We believe generosity returns. And we believe courage sustains. So those are the, the characteristics, the cornerstones of these great companies that are people over profit leaders. Awesome. And in the show notes, amyporterfield.com forward slash 80, we're going to list those so people can kind of go back to them. But let's dive into a few of those. You got to talk to me. You're really passionate about telling the truth. And you're also very outspoken about the fact that people lie. And when I was reading, I thought, and you have a lot of great blog posts about this as well, that I'll link to a few of those in the show notes. But when I was reading that, I thought, okay, 
So my audience, the people we're speaking to right now, they likely have really small businesses. Either they're just starting out or they have a really small business, maybe a content person, an admin person, and then they're the person hustling. And they're thinking, lying? I I can't even imagine that's going to be a part of any challenge I have. That sounds like a big corporate problem, but it's not, right? It's not. No, I mean, people... So... There's a, there's a part in my book that says that, you know, the world is full of lies. Um, it, we're bathing in lies. We buy lies. We eat lies for breakfast, lunch, <laughs> yeah. and dinner, right? The marketplace is the biggest, you know, lie factory around, right? So uh, there's a survey that, you know, 40,000 Americans, 93% of employees lie regularly and habitually in the workplace. Oh, so okay. sad. It's so sad. So remember, we're, it's it's weird types of lines. It's, it's truth spinning. It's exaggeration. It's half-truths. It's white lies. And, and so there is, it's that type of line. It's, we don't have a fanatical, intentional desire to tell the truth. And it, and it really hurts our ability to lead and to build trust with those who follow us. Scott Harrison, good friend, uh, CEO and founder of Charity Water, has a no white lie policy at Charity Water. He says that we are in an a industry that people already don't trust. And if you get caught in a white lie, you get one warning and then you're gone. And so wow. uh, no white lies at all, which is very hard. I mean, to be honest, it's, you know, my wife will say, hey, Dale, uh, you know, when are you going to be home? And I'll be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'll be home in, in like five minutes. I'm around the corner and I'm not around the corner. Right. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 12 minutes away. And it's this need to manipulate the truth uh, to better our situation. So that is the types of lies that we we struggle with as especially small business owners and individuals. And tell me w- why it's so important that we don't do that. They seem so harmless. They do seem so harmless. Um, I think that, that you know, earning back trust is one of the slowest things that we can do. Um, it takes a long time. And it's funny, I was an exaggerator. I still struggle with exaggeration. And it's been something that I've had to literally give permission to safe people in my life who uh, I trust that they, they actually love me to call me out in mm. front of me. Uh, I actually had to told a friend, I said, uh, to get really brutal with myself. I said, call me out in front of people. Oh, so um, painful. And, and just let me know if, if you think that I'm exaggerating or you think that I've spun the truth in certain, some, some way, just call me out in front of people. And I, I need to have sometimes that, that pain that embarrassment is sometimes what we need to remember in order for us to stop. Um, and so that's the kind of digging deep that we need to have as, as people over profit leaders to say, I'm going to beat this. And whatever lessons I've learned, whatever brokenness has taught me lying is okay in any form or function is not okay. And re, re, you know, restoring that, uh, restoring what's normal. To be honest, like it's common to lie. It's not normal to lie. Yeah. Um, so I want to remember what normal is and normal is, is being honest. And you say in the book that complete transparency definitely leads to a stronger bottom line. It totally does. Um, transparency and trust kind of go hand in hand and transparency is, is unique. It's, it's ultimately vulnerability plus accessibility equals transparency. Okay. So vulnerability plus accessibility. Yes. So the idea is that if you can be vulnerable, but not accessible, and that's not transparent, you can be accessible and not vulnerable. That's not transparent. So, and what, what I mean by that is like, 
hey, we're going to be vulnerable, McDonald's. We're going to talk about all the things that are in our food and then how they're actually really not that great. But they're going to be on page 97 in a three-ring binder behind the counter that you have to ask for if you want to see it. <laughs> right. You know, So that's, uh-huh. that's vulnerability without accessibility. It's not transparency. Um, you know, versus, you know, some of these other brands that, uh, what, what I was looking at, a, at a company, um, it was a great brand. I got at Whole Foods and it said 98% organic materials inside and on the cover of their box. Or, wow. it said this. And, and I thought, I thought, man, you know, marketing says that you should just not mention that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should just, you should just say, you know, mostly organic. I don't know what you would say, but ultimately it's leading you going, well, why is there 2% not? And, but they were upfront, they were super transparent and I respected them for that. And I said, you know what, I'm still going to buy this anyways. So there's definitely a value in, in transparency. Also, we live in a day and age where transparency is the currency of our generation. So uh, companies that aren't transparent are, are, are the ones that actually are, are sticking out. So I can wake up in the morning to find out what color Jeff Bezos tie is, or I could find out uh, you know, what's going on in, inside of, uh, you know, Charity Waters headquarters today. Um, I could find out what Donald Trump is, is doing on uh, his campaign trail. Whatever it might be, the idea is, is that, that transparency is very, very common today. So the, those of you who are sticking back from transparency uh, are really the ones actually standing out. It becomes a liability in your business plan. And, and transparency is a little bit odd for an older generation, but not as odd for the millennials. So I'm a big fan of just pushing yourself step by step and sharing a little bit more of um, of what you do. For example, I share exactly how much money I make, which is a crazy thing, right? That is so crazy. I haven't done that. I talk about how much money we make and how much we spent in some of my launches, but like you and Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas, like you guys are putting it all out there. And I and, love that. And it's really awkward sometimes because is it? Some, it's sometimes you, you make less than you did the month before mm. and you go, well, this is a public show that I didn't perform better this month. Um, or, or uh, you know, you you um, have to give the details that you've been giving. Um, and, and, you know, I talk about some of the, the wins and losses that I, I do every month. And and some, some of them are embarrassing. And it's when you share those embarrassments that people realize that you're human. Yes. People realize that they can connect with you and they can follow you. And that's that connection. Vulnerability, transparency, accessibility builds stronger more connected relationships. Instead of being a hundred feet wide and one inch deep, you're going to build 10, 10 feet wide and a hundred feet deep. And that's what people really want. That's so true. I'm going to link to some of your posts about your earnings, because I think it's really important to see how you do that and kind of how you share the good and the bad, which people need to hear. And they totally respect and appreciate that. So I love that you brought that up. Now, I don't want to get too off course, but it's so timely the morning that we're recording this, I'm sure you've heard about the whole Amazon thing. I have. And it just was so timely in terms of jumping on here with you. I don't think we, maybe we don't know enough right now. Let Will you kind of explain a little bit what came out? Because I have a question about that. Yeah. So, okay. So Amazon, you know, ultimately we find out that their culture is not as great as people might think it is. There was a statement that said something like, like, uh, you know, Amazon is where overachievers go to die Gosh, <laughs> or something like that, right? Seriously, so, it's horrible. Yeah, so if you're an overachiever, ultimately, you're not an overachiever at Amazon. You're like an underachiever there. And so so one thing that I say is that, you know, this is probably one of the the, the my favorite quotes um, from the book is, how you make others or how you make employees feel about themselves says a lot about your leadership. Okay, mm-hmm. so Jeff Bezos is leading this thing, and I, I've, he's a great 
a great businessman. Okay. I'm not going to say that he's a great leader, but I'm saying he's a great businessman. And um, their margins uh, and their their IPO or not their IPO, their uh, the the public figure in terms of like the stock market yeah. and their investors, most of them don't like <laughs> Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, most of them are unimpressed with the with the company's performance. What this is happening is is that you realize that. Uh, if the company, if the employee morale falls, the company is is not far behind. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that Amazon's falling, but right. this is a massive red flag uh, when your when your staff, uh, especially at a company that size, doesn't feel valued. They feel like they're a part of a machine instead of a piece of a mission. Uh, that becomes a massive problem for uh, for big companies or small companies, starting with your very first employee. Uh, you need to make sure that you remember that statement, how you, your employees feel about themselves says a lot about your leadership. Oh, so good. We're going to have to tweet that one. So that was my question for you, kind of how you feel about this and, and what you see just right on the onset since it just happened. Um, but that leads perfectly into my next question. And that is a lot of people listening, like I said, they're just getting started. So let's say that you're coaching an entrepreneur and they're in their early stages of building their business. They're growing their email list. They're warming up their audience for their free content. They're going to eventually sell their first online program. They've hired their first employee, like you just mentioned. So they're doing all of this. And what are the danger zones maybe for them to look out for or be aware of so that they don't start drifting into valuing profit over people? Because right now they're feeling like, no way, I'm not going to ever do that. But I yeah. feel like it can happen over time, and it it's almost off your radar sometimes. Yeah. So okay, a couple things is um, people over profit mentality must be built in, not tacked on. People so, over profit mentality must be built in, not tacked on. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so it needs to be something you start from the beginning. Okay, for example, if we started Sevenly and we said, hey, you know what? One once we start making money, we'll start giving money. Um, it, it just wouldn't work. You need to start from the beginning and you need to build your business model around uh, the value systems, the, uh, the mission, the purpose, the passions that you have currently, um, the cares you know, that you want. So you see a lot of companies right now, they're adding like maternity leave you know, five years later, right? right. It's mostly because the market says that you know, if you don't do that, then you're a horrible company, right? But it's but what I'm saying is that build these things in the beginning. If you want to start giving, if you want to start being generous with your employees, start, start being generous the very first day. <laughs> don't, don't expect yourself to go, well, when we start making money, then I'll start giving my employees more time off. When we start making money, then I'll start paying my employees 10% above industry average. Um, when we start making money, then I'll start giving to the cause that I care about. Um, that just doesn't work. Um, when we start making money, then I'll start, then I'll, then I'll stop lying in my marketing. Right. Because, right. you know, it, it, there's, there's, that actually happens. You know, people do this whole thing, fake it till you make it. Yep. I, I'm not a big fan about that because it's, it takes a, to fake it before you make it and not lie is almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so, or, or misleading people, people love, uh, honesty, our brains, our minds, actually, there's a, there's a psychologist and a, a neuroscience, uh, um, book on the topic of, of, um, finding out what our brains are made for and they're made for honesty and they're made for love. Um, and so we have to just remember that is that the human mind is designed for love. It's designed for truth. So we can use that in our marketing and win every single time. It's just, you, you have to take a psychological approach to marketing and realize 
People love getting the truth. People love feeling valued. And if you can constantly do that without the culture norms and without the, the, the standard things you're going to read in Fast Company, you're going to win. And it's just they want that authentic, deep connection of truth and care. And people go, man, this is a person. And if that can breathe out of your marketing statements, if that can breathe out of your culture and your discipline of your company, you will succeed. It just takes time. Okay, so I was raised driven by money for sure. Not like we ever had a lot of it, but making money was a badge of honor in my blue collar working family. And so now that I have my business, sometimes I think, okay, the way to let my team know how much I appreciate them and love them and, and care for them is give them bonuses. So give them money. Sure. And, and I know they love it. But let's talk beyond that for two reasons. One, I think there's some other amazing ways we can take care of our teams. And also some people aren't even in a place right now to bonus their team financially. So can you give me a few examples of things that we might not even be thinking about how we could make sure our team knows that they are valued? Yes. And I'm going to give you one that's going to totally flip-flop you on this, just a totally different direction. So one is what I call the golden rule. Okay. The golden rule is that that at my companies, when I'm leading, we fire people the way we would like to be fired. Oh, that's so good. Okay. And, and so this is, this is very important to t take in consideration because this is a way to build trust, to love your people in a way that has nothing to do with, with uh, you know, incentivizing the money. It makes them feel safe. Because there's a problem that's going on in, in capitalism today is where CEOs say, hey, employee, Give me two weeks notice if you're going to quit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the problem is, is that we don't say, employees don't say, hey, CEO, give me two weeks notice <laughs> yes. before you're going to fire me. Right? right. So at my companies, I always give people a two-week severance. So at least if they've been there for a long time, I'm going to give them, you know, two-month severance. But I'm saying is that if, because if I'm firing someone, it's my fault, okay, that I hired the wrong person, that I didn't screen them enough to make sure that they fit for the position. So, uh, for example, at Sevenly, anytime we had to let someone go, uh, we would, remember, treat them as a person, not a part. A person, not a part. We would always do terminations on Fridays at the end of the day, so we don't have to have them like, you know, they have, they have a weekend to, to let it sink in. It's not like in the middle of their work week. And we would do it at the end of the day, so they don't have to walk out in front of everybody and go, oh my gosh, I feel embarrassed right now. Right. I just got let go. What we would also do is we would always speak to the problem and not to the person. Okay, that's another great way to value people. Speak to the problem, not to the person. We would ask them, you know, they, they have mortgages and wives and husbands and children and bills. And we'd say, hey, is there anything going on right now that we should know about? Uh, you know, like one of our employees, we had to let go. His wife was about to give birth like two weeks later. I'm like, well, let's extend your benefits then. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it'd say, hey, I really needed a laptop and this is, I'm a graphic designer and this is how I make my money. And um, we would say, hey, you know what? Why don't you keep your laptop? Um, and we would do things like this and what it would, so, so the last thing we would do is we would say, um, and, and actually I will say two more things. One thing is I would also give them a letter of recommendation for the things they were good at. Okay. Um, and, and just affirm them there. And we'd say, hey, if you're willing, would you come back on Monday and uh, would you sit in the middle of the room and let the entire staff sit around you and affirm you and tell you good things that we love about you. What? No and way. They would come in on Monday. 80% of the people that we did this with would come in. And we'd say, hey, you know, John, when you came in in the morning, your drawings on the fridge are what made my day start with laughter. Or John, hey, 
you know what? You were on time to every single meeting I had, which really made me feel respected. So thank you for that. And what this would do, it'd be a very emotional experience. Um, and uh, it would, to be honest, we're, you know, we have a lot of Christian leadership in some of the philosophy that we do. Uh, we would also, if, if the person was of faith, we'd also sometimes pray over them and say, hey, you know, give really? them something, something that would go forward and, and something that you know, you'd get your next career. But what it did with a major change is it took them from be- feeling like a past employee and it made them feel like alumni. And that's the big difference is they left being a fan of the company, feeling valued, and the culture was strong and people that were still there felt safe and they worked harder because of it. Okay. I was going to say, bringing it back to how this benefits the people that are staying and haven't gotten fired is they see how well you're taking care of the people in case something like that does ever happen to them. You know, Stephen Covey wrote, you know, or uh, Stephen Covey, anyways, one of the Coveys wrote The Speed of Trust, right? Yeah. And, you know, the book of The Speed of Trust, it talks, you know, if trust is increased, everything goes faster. If trust is decreased, everything goes slower. So what I'm saying is that when you feel safe, and you feel that that you 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 know the expectations. I think that that managing expectations is the most important thing a leader will ever do. And and what I mean by that is that these expectations through people are going, okay, how can I get let go? What is my job today? What do people expect of me? You know, managing those expectations, people feel safe and they work harder. They're more loyal, and it builds an army. It's like the three hundred story. It's just it builds this strong intensity that will grow a company faster than your competitors ever will be able to. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you took me on a road I wasn't expecting, so or a little path there. So that's fantastic. I've never thought of it that way. I can use that definitely in my own business, and I love the humanity and the respect behind it. So thanks for sharing that. Now, yeah. it, it makes me think of um, another thing that came out of your book and actually another blog post that I'm going to link to because I think you all should check this out. And it is the whole thought process of, I will be happy when dot, dot, dot. And the reason I bring this up is a lot of people that are listening, a lot of my amazing audience is saying, you know, when my business is here, I will be happy when. It's kind of like the lines of when I'm making money, I'll give to charity kind of thing, but it's more personal to them. I will be happy when. So you say that this could destroy your business and your life. Tell me more. Yeah. So the lack of contentment is a really hard thing to deal with. And, and I, I say in that blog post, uh, if you can't be happy where you are with what you have, you never will. And um, that's a dangerous thing to do in your business. So I'm an overachiever, okay? I'm fanatical. I'm addicted to achievement, okay? And this has been something, I remember the reason, whenever you read a blog article on something like this, yeah. It's because the person who wrote it struggled with it. So true. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) the reason I wrote the book called People Over Profit is because I struggle valuing people over profit. For you to say that is huge because I just know a little bit about you and that kind of blows my mind. So thanks for putting that out there. Yeah. So, so this is just know that it's that's, that's why we wrote this book. Bob Goff wrote Love Does because he struggles with loving people. And now you see as he matures and he grows older that you go, this guy doesn't struggle with loving people. He's amazing. Yeah. But remember, he wasn't always that way, right? Right. And, 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 and the same thing is true. So, so content, being content with your life. I have moved at warp speed for the last 10 years. I've been so busy that I missed some of the most important things in my life. 
And I, it's, it's, you get lost in the sake of achievement. You know, the hardest part about it, Amy, is that, that everybody stood by the sidelines going, go Dale, yes. go Dale, go Dale. There was never a public reason why I should have ever slowed down because the world will push you so freaking hard that you'll end up ruining your life. And that's what happens to celebrities all the time, right? That's what happens to CEOs. They're the member, they're the most successful people that nobody like. Yeah. Um, so contentness, being content, you know, contentment, having, having this ability to go, you know what, I'm happy with where I'm at um, and, and still working hard. So being happy, but still crushing it. That is what really makes someone successful because being present, I think it ultimately comes back to this. I actually, in our living room, so we, we just built this brand new custom home and in our, our living room, I've done a couple things. I've, uh, in our dining room area on this giant wall, it's this beautiful script font that I had a friend draw and I've had it masked onto the wall. It says, be present, right next to our dinner table. And on the wall is a box that opens up uh, and it's, you know, it's got a little lock on it and stuff. Anyways, everybody puts their phones there if they sit at the dinner. <gasps> oh, that's okay? fantastic. So it's the idea of being present. Right? And, and the idea is that it's, it's when you're not content, when you're always achieving, you're never present. And I'll promise you, you're going to never, you're, by the, on your deathbed, you're not going to go, man, I wish I just worked more. I wish I achieved more. It's, you're you're going to sit there and go, I wish that I hung out with my wife more. I wish that I was a better dad. I wish that I was a better friend. I wish that I talked to my brother or my sister more often. And so the contentness is saying, hey, I'm going to be content in my life. I'm going to crush it, but I'm not going to go so far fanatical about my achievement that I'm going to put the relationships that are most important to me under the bus and hope that they'll be there waiting for me later. And so that, that's the disease um, and that's the depth of it. And I just really encourage people just to say, hey, you know, be happy with where you're at. Because today, if you're alive listening to this very podcast, life is perfect. You're here. You're breathing. And I think that's an important thing to, to recognize. It's, it's definitely a, a, an attitude of gratitude. Okay, so this is so perfect for where I wanted to end this interview. And it is a, along the lines of something you said that kind of threw me for a loop because I wasn't expecting it. You said you should love your work, but don't fall in love with it. You should enjoy your work, but don't grow obsessed with it. Now, I always thought that I should be in love with my work, but does that come down to if you're in love with your work, you're never present anywhere else? I mean, where is this coming from? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that the word love is, is uh, we, we, as entrepreneurs, as marketers, we forget. We think that we work so that we could work more. Uh, we think that we started our own businesses to make money so we can just make more money and to make more, do more time with our, with our work. That's not the case. Remember that the entrepreneur, the job is to make more money with less time. That's the job of the entrepreneur. It's to figure out how you can make more success and more achievement with less of your time. That's the beauty of the entrepreneur. And so the idea of not falling in love with your work is a hard thing because you can, you can love your work, but just don't fall in love with it. It's not the most important thing in your life. I promise you that. You start putting work over the people and the relationships that you have. And I promise you, you will be empty inside. You will be alone and you will be empty. And, and that is not something that I need to prove here. You can look through history and statistics, prove that all over the map. Is that at the end of the day, the most important thing that you can have 
It's a great relationship with your spouse, a great relationship with your children, a great relationship with your family, a great friendships. That's the most important thing in our lives. Now, remember, love work, enjoy it, get into it, crush it, make money, have the opportunities and the differences that other people don't have. But don't forget about the things that you're going to regret when you're lying on your deathbed. That's, that's the, the big takeaway. Such a perfect ending to a fantastic interview. Dale, thank you so very much for being here. I absolutely loved every minute of this. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Amy. And where can people find out more about you? You can find about me uh, on, uh, I write almost exclusively now at startupcamp.com under the articles section. So I write about one or two articles a week there. Uh, we also have a podcast there as well. Um, you could follow me online anywhere at Dale Partridge. Perfect. And I'll link to your book as well. I think everybody should have a copy of it, especially after this interview. I think you're going to believe me. So again, thank you so very much and have a wonderful day. Awesome. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you enjoy Dale's interview as much as I enjoyed talking to this guy. Doesn't he seem like a great guy that you just want to hang out with? He's got the most amazing Airstream in his backyard. I want you to check it out on Instagram. So he's just Dale Partridge on Instagram. And this Airstream is the coolest thing for all of his guests. And I love to see all the pictures that he posts. And he does great posts about motivation and inspires you through his Instagram channel and really cute pictures of his daughter as well. So it's worth checking into. And it makes me feel like I know the guy really well because he has such an excellent Instagram channel. So I wanted to throw that in there and encourage you to check it out as well. Thank you so very much for being with me here today. I cannot wait to connect with you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast at www.amyporterfield.com.